This podcast is recorded in front of an unwitting audience. This is True Crime Kent. We are back, operator. We are back. Episode 48. 48. Feels feels like progress. It I'm ex, uh, it feels encouraging that we've gotten this far. Feel well, it feels encouraging until you look at it and we just did episode 81 of another one of our shows and then then you're kind of like, "Oh, maybe it's you know, not as We also do 3 episodes of that a week. And that's on Patreon 1159media if you want to go ahead and sign up for that $5 a month. I don't know what tier it's at. I'm a patron of that as well. <laughs> um and that's not a joke. I pay $13 a month to listen to my own content. Um, the operator charges my card. None of that is a joke. This is all true. 100% true. Uh, you're funny. You got anything to say for yourself? <laughs> you're funny. It's funny that, oh, it's just funny. I, you know. Is it? <laughs> oh, my goodness. So we usually, or I like to, usually with episodes, start out with a little question, a little uh-huh. about, uh, that usually pertains to the episode. Yep. And this episode is no different. Hey, y'all. Hey, friend. What's the worst thing you've ever accidentally eaten? Or, or eaten against your will? And with, that's with the exception of butter. Because ah. <laughs> I know that that bully held you down one time and made you eat a bunch of butter. You yeah. talked. You told us about that, I believe. That was the Skidmore episode in the early days of TCK. He slid a bunch of hot butter down your throat, which I think, looking back now, may have been code for semen. No, it was um, it was butter. It was uh, butter. Yeah, nut butter. I can even cons- confirm it was butter because it was before the days of I can't believe it's not butter. So for sure, I know it was butter. I believe it wasn't butter. Well, it was. What's the weirdest thing you've ever accidentally eaten? Or like I said, eaten against your will? Um, nothing. Actually, nothing. I've always eaten everything. Op. Operator. Okay. Um, There's got to be something. I feel like you're holding back on me. I want you to dig deep down in your memories. Maybe something that you've blocked out. Something that you forgot about. Happened young. Maybe you were at missionary camp. I have two. I have two. Can I tell two? Was out behind that cedar log. He was like, I'm going to show you how to dig a latrine. Then he dug a latrine. Nope. That wasn't it, but I have two. I'll tell you. Okay. One, one, uh, picture this. At the top of a little mesa above town here, there's a, it's, you know, people go and you can see the whole city. It's a little cliff mesa kind of thing called Table Rock. Really creative name. Um, I was up there and I was probably 17 or 18 and they've made a very long cement bench. It's probably 50 feet wide. And people can go up and sit on it. Obviously, it has graffiti all over it and everything like that. So I was on it. It sounds like a blast. Yeah, it was. It was July, mid July. So it was nice there, and warm. Read it was, the Bible. It was nighttime. I'm not going to tell you that there was a giant, there's a giant lighted cross up there. That you can see from anywhere down in town, but maybe that's true. 
So, you know, go figure. I didn't put We have there. those actually in the south too, especially in Tennessee. I don't know why, but there's always a giant cross like 150 feet before any like porn shop <laughs> or place where there would be a glory hole. <laughs> and that's true. The first thing you see going down into Tennessee, there's a 300-foot cross. It's like Christians trying to like counterbalance the sins at the glory hole somehow, and they always put them right before you get to a big porn shop. I always feel like that kind of effort is so effective. Yeah. 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 Like, uh, like It's almost like their goal is to, for the guy that's getting out of his vehicle there at the porn shop. And imagine the kind of confidence it takes for a man or woman, the kind of confidence to park your vehicle openly in front of one of those establishments. And while people are just driving by, it could be your 19-year-old children or the people that you work with, and they know your vehicle. It's got the uh, Vote for Trump sticker on the back of it or the Biden 2020 or, you know, coexist. I don't know. But... The confidence to leave your vehicle out in the open there in this place where everybody knows there's glory holes. <laughs> yeah. People are driving by, but I think their goal is that they're going to look at look up at that giant cross right before going in and be like, I think I'm going to step out of this blowjob. I'm not going to do this one. Yeah, because like you know that church. every car that goes and parks in that parking lot, the person inside of it are like, Lord. Give me a sign, otherwise, otherwise I'm going in. Give me a sign. I, I know my I, dick in that hole, Lord. <laughs> Just, I, I know it's probably a man on the other side, but I've got a good imagination, Lord. <laughs> Give me a sign. <laughs> it's a 65 year old dishwasher from <laughs> Applebee's, <laughs> but the mouth feels the same, Lord. <laughs> Give me a sign. <laughs> Ah, oh, gross. Well, no, I don't even know how we got off on that. That's bad word, bad choice of words. Um, oh, crosses. That's how. So, what did you eat at on this concrete bench? Yes. So, up there, you're reading the Bible. First date. I'm on a first date with the girl. Oh, okay, yeah, and that's where you go. They love that. So she's sitting on covered the- in graffiti. There's dicks on it and stuff. It's very romantic. Yeah. We had, we were winding up the evening. We had gone to a line um, dance. We had gone to Bob's Big Boy Burger and right. had a burger and some fries and soda. And we, um, we thought, wouldn't it be fun? And so I brought a guitar, as I do. Oh, and my God. I was like, let's do this. I just cringed so hard okay. that I almost vomited. Okay, but I did, too. So you I did not take that young lady up to that mountain to sit on that concrete bench and play the guitar for her she, as the sun was setting. Okay. Please tell me that was not the plan. But she had heard me play before, and she was like, you should bring your guitar. I was like, no, I'm not bringing my guitar. And she's like, yeah, you should. So all right, fine. I left it in the car. I left it in the car. So this isn't a... Uh, this, this, you know, it doesn't play out just like you'd think. Um, so we're sitting up there, and I was sitting, I was lounging on the ground with my arm up on the cement seat, right? So I'm sitting next to her, but I'm not, like, sitting next to her. I'm sitting down from her. And she's sitting next to me, but up on the seat. So I'm kind of, I'm looking up at her the whole time we're talking and stuff. <clears throat> and have you ever had this happen where, like, you you like chortle like (laughs) 
for something like that and a booger comes out of your nose? <laughs> you ever had that happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have you ever had it happen where you're looking up at somebody and they chortle and a booger comes out of their nose and it goes right in your mouth? <laughs> and then you're like, she has to be so embarrassed right now. So I just ate it. Tell you what, to gain dominance, you should have spit it back into her mouth. <laughs> and then That's I how you take control of the situation. Look her straight. That'd been hot. That would have been hot. People pay for that kind of stuff. Look her straight in the eye and be like, I'll bet you feel like the state's probably over after that. But guess what? It's just beginning. <laughs> Open your mouth. Open your mouth again. Uh, that was bad. That was rough. Um... Did you chew it? No, I just kind of, you know. Like, you just did an old swa- the full swallow? Like, you did, know, you, did you spit it out? I, what I would imagine, like you have illicit drugs in your mouth and you're trying to act cool next to a cop and you you know you can't make it look weird. Did so she you, know that she had just boogered in your, oh, in yeah. your mouth? Hole? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she knew. She knew. You guys never addressed it? Ah, nope. Just, uh, oh, that makes it so much worse. I just kept, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so you you're got, rolling around on your tongue like a tiny little tennis ball. I just let it, I just let it casually find its way down my epiglottis, uh, to my epiglottis. That, so that was number one. Okay. Number two thing that I accidentally ate against my will was one time this one guy gave me a real sneaky punch to the face and I ate that punch real, <laughs> real good. Did you take a nap afterwards? Uh, no, but I felt re- I did not respond to it. We were playing basketball in the neighborhood and this kid was like really good. Um, oh, he was black. He was half black actually, but he oh. lived, he, he, he was very privileged. He came from a, like, he drove a Miata the year they came out. That, like oh. that, okay? Okay, yeah. So, First you know, time I've ever heard somebody say he was privileged, he drove a Miata. The year it came out, though. Like, that's like... Yeah, that's still like a 13-pound car. Yeah. 13 inches long. <laughs> it's like getting a Nissan Juke, like the moment they hit the, the, the car dealer. You know, you're like... Man, yeah. I'm going to look different. Or a cube. Remember the cubes? Like, you- Yeah, so unsafe. You can T-bone a Miata on a motorcycle <laughs> and total the car and, and keep driving on the motorcycle. <laughs> uh, have you ever had a car, though, that was... Oh, I guess... Have you ever had a car that was new? No, never. Oh, okay, so this probably hasn't ever happened, but I had a couple cars that I bought new, and I, and they were new in the world. So I remember going through a drive-through before, you know, in my new car, and they're like, "Wow, that's cool." I'm like, thanks. You know, it was like a, an '07 Mustang 5.0 when they came in '07. So, you know, you want me to tell you why buying new cars is stupid? I already know. <laughs> they depreciate in value like 20% the second you take it off the lot. Yeah, it's a poor choice. I've learned a lot since 07. Um, but, you know, I ate a punch. So how that happened was I was um, I was playing basketball, and I was not good. Um, and he was really good, like like probably like going to could go to college. He was older than me, probably three years older than me. 
And I was just over there. It's neighborhood ball, so everybody can play. But he was really mean to me. Like, he would always make fun of me and mock me as I'm, you know, doing things. And finally, I got so— I mean, I get it. (laughs) I got so fed up. He was like, I went up for a layup, and I made the layup, but I kind of did—I looked more like— like a Mikhail Barishnikov in the air making a layup than like a basketball player, like very pirouette-like. Yeah. And he was like, he laughed at me. And he's like, who taught you how to play basketball? And I said, I just screamed at him, Helen Keller. <laughs> and he, he was like, ha, 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 walked up to me and then just bam, punched me. Well, that's uncalled for. Yeah. Then went and got in his big wheel. <laughs> If you think about it, you do get in Miatas the same way kids get into big wheels. <laughs> True. Oh, fun. So anyway, yeah, those are the two things I ate. The booger and okay. the punch. <laughs> well, I mean, I've also ate some weird things. I was helping my, my buddy. I was probably like 18, and he was a dipper. I don't know what that, oh, like tobacco? Yeah, tobacco dip. Okay, yeah. And he had been, and we both had orange juices. As you do. Like, but it was like the single serving orange juices you buy at a gas station. Yeah. Okay. And he had drank half of his orange juice and then he had used the other half for like two hours to spit into, dip spit into. Oh. And I was sitting there putting in this head unit for into his car for him. And Which I wasn't is a euphemism I just down and for. And I took a, a big old thick drink of orange juice, but it also had goobers and, and dip. And it was just mainly, it was probably 30% orange juice, 60% spit, and tobacco juice. It was like a forbidden <laughs> screwdriver. The uh-huh. forbidden screwdriver. Uh-huh. And I immediately got sick and vomited everywhere. Uh, on another occasion, I was hanging tobacco in a barn. And that's something that we do here in the South. I don't know if you've ever hung tobacco. No, no can't say I have. Nope, ever. So the process of tobacco is kind of fun. You cut it, and then it sits out in the in the field for a while, and you uh, and then you got to hang it in the barn to let it dry. It gets impaled on the end of tobacco sticks, and then you hang it up in the barn to let it dry for a few months. And okay, I was standing down uh, on the ground in the barn, and I was drinking a Mountain Dew. And there was a bunch of Mountain Dews around there, and once again, I grabbed the wrong one, and it turns out the Mountain Dew that I had grabbed. Had been from like the previous season, oh, and it was full of dead flies. Oh, I mean, like an inch of dead flies. <laughs> it was mostly dead flies. <laughs> oh, oh. Oh. Anyway, so I take a big swig of this hot year-old Mountain Dew <laughs> that's got I don't know a half a pound of dead flies in it. And I don't know a lot about Mountain Dew. I don't know how it's made. I don't know what the ingredients are. But I know they're not supposed to be crunchy. No. It's not. And I just had a mouth, I mean like a whole mouthful of dead flies. And it was like the worst version of finishing off cereal. You know how you're like, oh, yeah, I get like maybe Fruity Pebbles. That's how I would. Fruity Pebbles, but not soggy. Yeah, kind of soggy. Maybe Fruity Pebbles that have been in the milk for probably like three minutes, just enough 
to where they've still got a little bit of a crunch. You can recognize them going down your gullet with the milk. Yeah, and yeah. I had gotten some down before I realized. I mean, it all happened so fast. It all happened so. You're working in tobacco. You're hot. We got we got work to do. Yeah. So you've got to like, and it was same consistency as slightly soggy fruity pebbles. <laughs> same size as slightly soggy fruity uh, pebbles. Way different taste. Yeah. Gotta say, way Ooh. different taste. Yeah, because you marinated those those bugs in in Mountain Dew for a year, so that would have been. Which is basically just tar and rainwater at this point. Black tar and rainwater. Whatever Mountain Dew on its base level boils down to after it's set in the sun for six months, yeah. you know, and yeah. then an additional six months of rain and then dead flies. So basically what you're describing is Jaeger. <laughs> Boom! I don't even know what it You've tastes like. never even tasted yet. Nope, never. But that's a fair... <laughs> That's fair. That's awesome. But even Jaeger isn't crunchy. <laughs> and then the last thing that I had against my wheel that I digested against my wheel, um, childhood aside, is oh, gosh. <laughs> acetone. Oh, what? The highly abrasive, very unhealthy... I don't know how, how many calories per serving acetone has, but you're not supposed to drink it. I was at work, and we used a lot of acetone at work, and despite what OSHA says, I kept mine in a water bottle, and acetone looks <sighs> like water. It's clear, and I also had a water bottle, and much like the first two stories that I've told, I picked it up and took a big swig, and I was very upset. Because let me tell you something. When you're expecting something flavorless like water, yeah, and you instead digest uranium, <laughs> it is a jolt. Fun fact to know: that's also how they uh, they make jolt. So, <laughs> cool. well, up. That was possibly, probably the most loosely connected bit of questioning prior to doing an episode that we've ever done here at TCK. Uh huh. I was grasping at, grasping at straws, to say the least. You'll see why. Today we're talking about a very dead but very sneaky woman that wreaked havoc in Chicago in the early 20th century with her cooking. Yeah. Whee. I'm guessing the cooking isn't uh, above board. Surprisingly, it was, according to everybody that ever had it. Yeah. Okay, well, paint me as, paint me as curious. Is that the paint me? Paint me? Color me is curious. I have been for a while. <laughs> I don't the mean, accent. I don't mean. <laughs> I'm not saying by curious. I pick up your subtle hints. Sometimes you look at me just a little too long. Too favorably. Too. Yeah. And when we're in person, you hug just a little too tightly. <laughs> and your hands are very soft. I'm always just intrigued to see how your C- your CPAP mask fits while you're sleeping. <laughs> and also, your dick tastes weird. <laughs> tastes like shit. And I thought, I bet this guy's gay. Wow. Uh, now, there isn't a lot of information on this woman. No books have been written. 
Not a lot of documentaries. Usually she's a footnote in true crime books where, you know, there's a book where it's like 30 of the most notorious women killers yeah. from the 1900s. She gets like a paragraph. Yeah. Yeah. I have done the absolute best I can writing this outline and putting this all together. I've exhausted all my search, all my sources and doing so. I think it's a pretty good breakdown of her life. Now, right off the bat, I do want to say that the names in this story are all absolutely bonkers. Like all of them. Every single one of them have 97 letters, none of which look like they should go together. It's as if somebody put a, the letters A to Z in, on bingo balls and then put them in that. <laughs> A42. That's how they put these names together. They just got a pen and a piece of paper and then drew bingo balls and then wrote down whatever. They're just so random. I'm going to do my best, but you need to keep in mind I do sound like this, so I don't know a lot of things. <laughs> Okay, I'm. I won't. I'm not going to. You know, and I'm going to make this sound like it, I. I'm going to do it as a benevolent thing. I'm not going to correct you on any of the names, and that's not because I could even come close to doing it. But you're on your own. That's uh, that's it. Okay. Otilia Gerberek. 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 Why put a G in that? I don't know. Why? Well, I think it's Burek. It's G B U R E. Right off the bat. Yeah, we're already we're in. A, this is the easy one. That's harsh. Burek, Otilia Burek. For the rest of the story, we're going to call her Tilly. Good, because that was her nickname. That she was. That's what everybody knew her as. Tilly was born in 1876 in Poland to her parents, Mikal and Mikalini Burek. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In 1879, three-year-old little Tilly immigrates to the United States with her parents, and they settled down in what is called Little in the Little Poland section of Chicago at 1348 Sloan Street. Now, that was Chicago, Illinois, not Chicago, Wisconsin. Okay, good. Clarify there. Because everybody always, they hear Chicago, they go, I love Wisconsin. Fun fact to know and, and share. Got one for you. Do you know the difference between immigrate and emigrate? I don't. Easy. Immigrate is where you it, you tra- you move to. Emigrate is where you tra- you moved from. So you emigrated. Fr- they emigrated from Poland and they immigrated to the United States. <laughs> fun. I'm going to be in a good mood today, and that is a lot of fun. Huh? Yeah, I enjoyed that. Thank you. Yeah, I always love your little. Bits of knowledge that you bring to the show. I kind of you know feel- anything about coins. Oh, you wait, you wait. Okay. Now, like I said, they moved at thirteen forty eight Sloan Street there when they immigrated. Mm-hmm. To and much like Poland, Sloan Street was leveled to the ground over seventy years ago. <laughs> wow. True. <laughs> Harsh, but true. As a matter of fact, most of Sloan Street was the entire thing. It's called West Crystal Street now. Tilly was the oldest of seven little Polacks. <laughs> Tilly's parents didn't spit. What are we doing? I don't T- know. If Till- you can, can you do that? 
I don't think that's racist because they're white, right? Yeah, I think you're right. Like we, yep. And I actually looked up before we even started recording if Polak was a racist term, and it's not. It's just a derogatory term. Okay, we're fine then. It's how you. It's it's the intent, right? It's it's the way you say it. And you were saying it is. You yeah, know, these are cute little, little Polaks. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we should be fine. Jess isn't holding up her hands or anything, so we'll yeah. just keep moving on. She's kind of our bastion of morality, <laughs> so she, <laughs> which is both fun and scary. And she's only been convicted of one hate crime, so <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> so Tilly. Oldest of seven children. Her parents didn't speak any English when they moved to the United States. None. And, I mean, 30 years later, when Tilly's all over the newspapers, somehow they still don't speak a lick of, lick of English. Man, that would None. be really hard. Which is impressive in itself to not accidentally pick some up. I, not to I, just stumble and fall into some English words. <laughs> I always kind of cringe when somebody talks about an immigrant and and them and then using the word assimilate. But really, what ends up happening is these these people come over and they'll come they'll move to a Polish community or a community, and so they really they're insulated from the requirement to you know. And I think that's that's great. Yeah, that sure it's good for them to have a a place where they're comfortable and a place. I feel like it like kind of softens the blow. Of going to someplace completely foreign. Foreign. Yeah. You know? And you can kind of venture out as you get comfortable and settled in. And it also probably helps with paperwork and sauerkraut. Yeah. All the things. Yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah. No, my my bar for assimilation is pretty low. Learn the law, obey the law. You know? Other than that, go nuts. Go nuts. And Tilly did. Okay. We'll get into that in a minute. <laughs> okay. Tilly was considered a good child um, after learning English, which she picked up pretty quickly. She did a lot of translating for her parents when it came to the mail and just about everything. Like I said, they didn't speak any English. And she took care of everything. She read them when they got mail, all that stuff from a young age. She also helped with all the household chores, stayed out of trouble, and just didn't leave the house that often. She was she had to grow up quick, Tilly did, in the, in this household. Because her parents really, they, they relied heavily on her in this foreign place. Now, her mother taught her how to cook, which will come into effect later. Probably like 52 different variations of kraut and kielbasa, <laughs> I would imagine. Yum. I don't understand the obsession with kraut. Um, and that's not just a Polish thing. That's a southern thing, too. My grandparents were obsessed with sauerkraut. They would can it every sink before every winter we had a cellar full of sauerkraut and it just made me sick <laughs> you ever had sauerkraut i have uh, and i i can i can subscribe to your questions on why it's so popular kielbasa on the other hand i i get that one i understand that you know i never looked up my family's heritage on that side maybe my grandparents were polish we should look into that i never even thought about that if that's the uh connection there because they also loved sausage. Holy shit, am I Polish? You might be. I know that on my dad on my dad's side, I am Irish. That's where Chungus comes from, Ireland. <laughs> is, that, is that right? Uh, okay. As uh, an adult, 
Tilly was later described in newspapers. If you're wondering what she looked like physically, newspapers described her as squat with a greasy complexion and a lumpy figure. <laughs> really? Yes. Newspapers wow. were wild back then, man. They really just... They let anybody ride in things, I feel like. They just they just said whatever they want with all of the biases in the world, then, you know, not like now. <laughs> that's that's frightening. <laughs> she worked as a cashier at a general store her entire life. That was her job, storekeeper. In eighteen ninety five, at nineteen years old. Young Tilly marries a 22-year-old, another Polish man by the name of Joseph. Here we go. Mid-Kiewicz. Mid-Kiewicz. And I think that maybe when they immigrated to the United States, you know how at the docks, whenever we were bringing in immigrants, they'd have a guy with a pen, like, what's your name? And they're like, shlubadoobadoobadoops. And they're like, and then that that white guy sitting on the dock would just be like, oh, you're shloobs now. That's just how I think that's how they did names because uh-huh. Joseph in all the newspapers was just called Mitke, M-I-T-K-E-Y. But the way that you're actually pronounce his spell, his name is M-I-T-K-I-E-W-I-C-Z. All that aside really doesn't matter. 19-year-old Tilly marries 22-year-old Joseph. They begin renting a house on Sloan Street there in Sloan Street, Sloan Street there in Chicago near Tilly's parents. Joe had a pretty good job. He was an inspector for the IC Railroad. And in July of 1896, they have a son. It's the one and only child that Tilly will ever have, and his name is Joseph Mitke. Now, this young man is just lost to history. He shows up one more time in newspapers, and at that time, he's 26 years old, and that's during during Tilly's trial. He's never mentioned at any other point ever in history. There's no known gravesite, obituary, nothing. He is a blurp at two points in history, to my knowledge, and I used all my sources, his birth and being at the trial. Wow. Uh, I'm going to pepper you with information about yourself as we go. First first point that may lead to indicate that you have Polish ancestry. Can you think of the town you were born in? The town I was born in or the one that I grew up in? Born. I was born in Somerset, Kentucky. Mm, actually, you were born in Pulaski. Pulaski County? Pulaski, Kentucky, USA. Yeah. So, is that a county? Pulaski is a county, yes. That's a very Polish word. So, we're on to something so far. My grandparents loved sauerkraut and sausage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're so, I'm to allowed something. to say Polak. Yep. We're getting but, there. The more you know. What's some uh, slurs for Irish? Uh... I want to get those out of my system, too, because I'm allowed. Okay. Slurs for Irish would be, give me another. I'm not going home yet. Hold on. Let me look it up here. Irish That's a slur. Slurs. Like a drunk person slurring, requesting another beer. That would be them slurring the request. Slurs for Irish people. A teague. I don't know what that is. Oh, is that like a, a, a term for them? A mick. Okay. Yeah. Ah, you fucking mick. I think if you put the F word in front of it, then it becomes, unless you're there, yeah, it does, it becomes bad. Anyways, moving along. <laughs> now, <laughs> kind of glad we're moving on. <laughs> yeah. 
ass just loosened a little bit. Um, <laughs> Tilly and Joseph were known as a happy couple. They were very well liked in their community. Everybody loved them. Tilly was known as a great cook in the community. Just so much sausage and kraut and pierogi and cabbage rose and raw minced beef. Just enough for, to go around. She was a good cook. Learned from her mother. Had to learn from an early age. So everybody loved her cooking. But in 1912, 16 years after her son is born, mm-hmm. the first odd death occurs in Tilly's family. And that one goes to her 16-year-old cousin, uh, a young man by the name of Stanley Z- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> His name is spelled Z A K R Z E W S K I. And that young man died at 2013 Carolina Street, oh, which is now 2013, huh? No, this was an address, not a year. What? I I was just it's crazy how my Do you have a coin? Let's hear your coin fact op. I'm so excited. It's, well, it's <laughs> Mine's, you said 2013 and instantly, you know, I, I have did. This, this Let's interrupt recall. it. Hey, um, okay. 2013 was the first oh. year that, that, that uh, the U.S. put out a curved coin. Well, I'll be goddamn. Believe it. Yeah. To celebrate the National Baseball's Hall of Fame, uh, yeah. which would have been the 75th anniversary. Well, that's fun. Upcoming, the the U.S. Mint they they produced not only one but they produced a commemorative five dollar gold piece, a nice. one dollar silver piece, yeah, don't and say. one half dollar clad coins. Now, crazy, get this: they were curved, right? So one of the one of the one of the surfaces was the obverse of the coin was concave, and the right. reverse was convex, right. which. You know, that stands to reason, because if you had both of them as convex or both of them as concave, you'd have a... You, you wouldn't you would have break a, the fabric of time. <laughs> I would yeah. think so. It would make sense. We're on the same page. Materials don't work like that. If, if But if you... I mean, it, you have to have one convex and one concur, concave side. Right. That way you get a I pringle. I feel like we should go into this more, yeah. Yeah, you get a pringle shape. Yeah. But if you had right. two concaves, then you have a pizza, uh, uh, like a, a pizza roll. That's called flat. It would be a pizza roll, pizza or hot pocket shape. Nobody can carry a bunch of pizza rolls in their pocket, but you can stack. Cur- I can too. Doing it right now. <laughs> I just got a fucking pocket full of pizza rolls. That sounds like I've always done that since I was young. That sounds like a song. Those that- days when cargo shorts were uh, the I loved them. <laughs> just pizza rolls. Yeah. All day. And pizza rolls are better when they're room temperature. I hate them pulling pizza rolls out and it's just molten fucking lava from Lord of the Rings inside. You can't even eat them. You can't. You can't. They got to sit for 30 minutes yeah. before you can even look at them. You can look at them after the microwave. It'll burn your eyes. I ended up going with a cooling insert that I got off Amazon that air cools the pocket. Makes storage a lot more temperaturally managed. Don't you hate it when you burn them and they're just dry? It's like eating pig skins. I haven't really burned my pockets before. I don't really know. How do you do that? Back to this coin. Yeah. There were three coins. Just I'm not sure. Oh. I don't think you were listening, but there's three. And they were all yeah. they were all shaped like Pringles. So if you've ever right. had a Pringle, you know what they're shaped like. Uh, for people. Look at me. Do I, do I look like the kind of guy who's never had a Pringle? <laughs> So you know what? I eat them by the sleeve. Fun fact to know and share. I eat pizza rolls by the pocket. 
and Pringles by the sleeve. All of my food is measured in pockets and sleeves. Oreos by the sleeve. If you look on the packaging for Pringles, you'll never see the word potato chip because the FDA says there isn't enough potato in them to be qualified as a chip. <laughs> so that's concerning. It's just salt and sawdust. Exactly. <laughs> oh, okay, sorry. <clears throat> I think legally they just have to throw one potato in to every 55-gallon drum. Yeah. So, young Stanley here. Stanley's a... Like, oh, I'm nasty. Yeah. Died at 2013 Carolina Street. Now, that's 2013 West Dickens Avenue now. Oh, these were streets. Still there. Has been remodeled. Yeah. Beautiful house. Stanley died suddenly and without expl- explanation. I mean, this is 1912. Yeah. Even though he's 16 years old, he dies suddenly without explanation. 1912, probably everybody just shrugs their shoulders and goes, Yeah, I don't, it's 1912. What are you going to do? I don't Kids know. Kids die a lot. They do. What are you going to do? Yep. 1912. Shockingly, Stanley's mother, Frances Zakharovsky, and Tilly did not get along oh, and argued frequently. That's a shocker. And had had an argument not not long prior to Stanley's demise. Wonder. Huh. So maybe it's not as without explanation as we think. I don't want to. I, I felt like I... Tipped my hat a little. Did I tip my hat a little bit there? No, no. I think you'll only you know only know. That Sometimes you... I wonder that this being a true crime podcast mm-hmm. gives too much of the story away. No, I don't think that that's the case at all. I think you'll know if it uh, if you've tipped your hat too far. If it's like suspenseful music starts playing, and I didn't hear it. Oh, okay. Didn't hear any that time. I'm like got genuine anxiety now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. And anybody that doesn't, that isn't on Patreon has no idea why, because they've never heard a daily show we do on Patreon called Extraterrestrials. Uh-huh. <laughs> Anyways. Mm. So Stanley dies. Yeah. But despite her cooking and everything up, Tilly had another ability. She had another ability. What do you think that was? I'm going to go with um, beautiful singing voice. No. Huh. Weird. Not at all. Weird. Not at all. She got premonitions about the deaths of things. Ooh. Yeah. It's right up Jessica's territory. <laughs> yeah. She was gifted. Uh-huh. In the beginning, it was just animals. Uh-huh. In the beginning, it was just animals, stray dogs and cats in the neighborhood. She would look at her neighbor and say frequently, quote, that dog will be found dead tomorrow. Oh. So, Unquote. So she was like a harbinger of doom. Kind of, yeah. In a way, <laughs> in a way, <laughs> in a way. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And somehow, though, to the neighbor's astonishment and amazement, that dog was always found dead tomorrow. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> now, my grandfather had this gift too with possums and shit. <laughs> Did he? And sure enough, the next day we would always find whatever animal he had had a premonition about with a twenty-two round in its gut. <laughs> it always blew our minds. Like, how did he know? We didn't know how he knew that. <laughs> unlike us, though, you'll see that people back then were a lot more gullible. Okay. Because unlike my grandfather, Tilly actually didn't have a gift of premonition. What? Now I'm confused. Nineteen thirteen. In the year 1913, another one of Tilly's cousins, 
23-year-old Stella Zakharovsky. Mm-hmm. Dies of? 22 you got to it. the stomach. Not a 22 round, no. Mm. A, just, a, a 22 round to the stomach is just going to piss off a 23-year-old. Yes, yeah, that's a good point. There's going to be like, why did you shoot me? Mm-hmm. I was in the middle of eating this pierogi. Why did you shoot me? Yeah. At most, it's going to slow down their digestion and give them heartburn. A 22 round. True. But 23-year-old Stella, she dies of, you guessed it, random and unexplained causes. Now, Stella was the sister of Stanley, the other young man that died. Hmm, starting to see a connection. That family seems to have genetic death. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, It's a genetic thing. Yeah. Now, Stella also died at 2013 West Dickens Avenue, the same place where Stanley did. Mm -hmm. Coincidentally... Tilly and Stella's mother, Frances, were still not getting along in this period. What? Nobody's putting anything together yet. Mm. Nobody. Everybody just thinks they've got shit luck. This is just shit Polish luck. And they might, but also I'm starting to think that there's there's more to this story. Yes. Than... There's actually not. That's the end. Yeah. Um, we don't really know what killed him. Tilly died the next year. Her head was run over by a horse. Okay. Join us next week for TCK <laughs> when we talk about Corey Feldman and how he's not dead yet. <laughs> In December of 2013, Tilly starts telling her friends and neighbors that she's, th- that she's for the first time having dreams and premonitions about a human. How in the world is Tilly doing this in December of 2013? I'm sorry, December. Did I in December of 1913? I think Tilly starts telling. I, th- uh, you're starting to give away. I think a little more than you want to with that. With that about the story, like she can't not die or something. You think she's immortal? Yeah. Is that am I that would be something? a fun twist. Kind of feel like you ruined the story because the twist now isn't going to be as nearly as fun as if it turns out she's immortal. Okay. <laughs> well. Uh. In December of 1913, Tilly starts telling her friends and neighbors that she's having dreams and premonitions for the first time about a human. Hmm. And that human up was Joe, her husband. She starts telling her friends and neighbors he's definitely going to die soon. And guess what? One month later... On January 13th, 1914, after they had been married for 19 years, 40-year-old Joseph does die. What? Corner said, heart trouble. Really? Yeah. Okay, I think we're on to something. Tilly collects a $1,000 life insurance policy, which equates today to $17,000. Now, after this, after, she get, after they're like, oh, she had a life insurance policy, he died one month after she started having these premonitions. The people do start putting things together. Uh, the premonitions, the deaths. Tilly really does have a gift. This proves it. That's how they thought. I'm not making that up. This is proof that she's gifted. (laughs) (laughs) And this is a more fucked up equivalent to the fireman setting the fires. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. February 17th, 1914. One I tried month to play after suspenseful ju- music. Could you not hear it? No. And even if I do, I'm not going to acknowledge it. Okay. Well, at least... All right. Okay. 
February 17th, 1914, one month after Joe, her husband's death, hmm. Tilly remarries, this one month, she remarries a man named Joseph Ruskowski. And that's probably one of the easiest names in this whole goddamn story to pronounce. Ruskowski. Yeah, I felt relief when you said that. And he lived right nearby, so he was like somebody that lived in the neighborhood there. I guess I guess she knew him well. Uh, Joseph Ruskowski. Sometimes in old newspapers, he'll also be called John Ruskowski. And he lived nearby. He was described as a, quote, picture of health. This is a striking young man, young Polish man in great health, a uh, hard worker. He's abusive. Had a good ticker, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Healthy man, healthy young man. But guess what? Tilly starts getting premonitions again. What? Joseph's going to die. He's going to get sick and die. What? And soon after they married, and even sooner after her premonitions, he does start getting sick. What? On May 20th, 1914, three months after they got married, Joseph also dies. This episode is brought to you by... If you're having trouble with your fucking mental health, you're out there farting in the bathtub and laughing at your own farts and thinking about just ending it all, maybe going down to the basement and throwing a rope over a rafter, climbing up on that chair and doing a goddamn stage dive into oblivion, give a call. You can save lots of money and not fucking kill yourself. As you're saying that, could you feel the money going out of your pocket? <laughs> yep. Yep. Never hear from them again. Oh, my gosh. I'm leaving that in, too. Tilly starts getting premonitions again. Her husband, her new husband, Joseph, he's going to die, like I said. And on May 20th, 1914, he dies three months after they got married. She, this time... Gets $1,200 in cash that he left behind, as well as a $722 insurance payout, totaling $31,000 today. Okay, maybe it was worth it. I have to say this again. Nobody is putting anything together. And she's not the first in, like, re, uh, you know, uh, there's been 30 years, uh, ga- a, a period of 30 years where some other ladies have done this where the world is aware and you know insurance companies are yeah, aware. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is after Bell Gunnis. Yes, after Bell, it's HH H. Holmes, right? Yeah, after. Yeah, or ish around then. Yeah. I mean, I don't blame her honestly to be to be if I'm if I'm being completely honest. Are you going to fuck the patriarchy on me? No, I'm blaming the insurance companies for not seeing this one coming. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Now, director, directly after Ruskowski's death, she starts dating a man named Joseph, sometimes spelled John, sometimes what? spelled Joseph Why with an F. That? Right? It gets worse because his last name is Guskowski, sometimes spelled Guskowski, sometimes spelled Grant Kowski. Ugh. Imagine how much of a nightmare this episode was researching. It'd be hard. Because whenever I have to do a search on one person, there's... Three different possible first names and three different possible last names. Yeah, I'm wondering, though, if partially it could be the person doing the research because, like, 
I don't know. I could probably find a lot of information on these people that you can't. Like, do you know who? Do you know who lived on Four Road? Don't. My, I've still got family that live there. (laughs) So we're going to cut that out. (laughs) Go ahead, get it out of your system. It's out, it's out, it's out, it's out. (sighs) At the time, Joseph Guskowski... Guskowski, uh-huh. Guskowski, Grantkowski. At the time, he lived in a five-bedroom house located at 2031 West Homer Street. Now, this house was built in 1895. It was a beautiful, it is still, a beautiful two-story red brick house. Still there to this day. Relatively unchanged aside from uh, interior remodeling. It's a really nice house. And that's in uh, the middle of Chicago. So, probably, I'm assuming this fella... At least had a decent job. But we do know that this new couple, now Tilly and, and Joseph, or John, or Joseph, they uh, take a trip to Milwaukee together on life insurance payout from her previous husband's death. And on the way home, you know, they've had their Model T, probably. She starts telling him about her other dead husbands and how she had premonitions about their deaths. And she wasn't all that distraught about it or saddened. Huh. Like, you don't, yeah, it'd be impossible to know whether or not she was kind of saying it like, if you know what I mean, like, keep me happy kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll never know how he felt about it because he refused to marry her her after that. And then in September of 1914, he also dies. Are you kidding? (laughs) What? (laughs) So she couldn't even collect anything on that bloke. No, that was just one where he pissed her off. Now they, wow. he did refu- he refused to marry, but they stayed together. And then, yeah, in September of 1914, keep in mind this is six months after her last husband has died of mysterious causes. That's hard to believe. Like it's hard to believe that no one's catching on yet. I have a side story about this, but I'm going to hold off. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Fun fact. <laughs> yeah, Dolly Ostrock, the woman we covered in our last episode of TCK. Yeah. She was living in Milwaukee at the time of Tilly's visit there. Really? I wonder if they knew Yeah, Otto was in the attic, too, so there's a chance that maybe those two accidentally brushed shoulders on the street. It's fun to think about. Yeah, weird. Maybe she tripped and fell into Dolly's pussy. Stop it. That's not not possible. Oh, gross. Uh, What's your side story up? Well, I was going to say, what were we talking about? You said you had a side story. I'm sure it's something completely unrelated. So what I'm going to do is just start saying random things, and it should be able to connect penguins, um, space travel, whales. I can't um, remember. None of those were what we were talking about. Bicycles, mountains. Those were really um, good. The Civil War, uh, the Voyager, um, racial tension. Uh, plate tectonics, almost there. ball bearings. Oof, close. I can't Peanuts, remember. <clears throat> sunflower seeds. Was it uh, insurance? Irrigation. Coal mining. You were saying something about something. It was really captivating. I said they went to her and this new boyfriend that's now dead went to Milwaukee together on the life insurance payout 
from uh, her previous husband's death. And on the way home, she tells him about her other dead husbands. And then you said, interesting side story. So something about those last few sentences. Yeah, I'm wasting your time. My brain is not bringing it back. Jess is typing like a fiend, too, trying to get me to remember. But nothing, guys. Sorry. Oh, I feel embarrassed. Yeah. Well, that's... Me too, uh... Me too. Yeah. 1915. Tilly's 15-year-old cousin, Helen Zakrowski, dies suddenly and without warning. I I don't know why I said without warning. I guess I just mean she didn't let him know beforehand. (laughs) (laughs) They give him a heads up. That's what I meant by that. Oh, I remember uh, my side story. God damn it. I remember. I mean... Really quick. Yes, up. What is it? So all of these things, you know, that happen where people scam the insurance. I was on a roll. Let me bring this to a screeching halt. What? What's the story? Well, the people that scam the insurance, like I, I do, I cannot process how how they get away with it. Case in point, I went to go try to get Concerta, which is like an ADHD drug, and it's a Schedule Two drug. The hoops I had to jump through for that were almost mind-boggling and it made me think how I don't understand how people can how they have multiple doctors that are all prescribing them the same pill. You don't know the system. I guess you didn't grow so. up in the system. Cuz that seems really hard. Seems really hard. I don't I don't know how the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing cuz in my case both hands knew what they were doing and I kind of feel the same way about insurance scams cuz I don't know how they ever pull them off because it always seems like they're one step ahead of me you didn't grow up in a culture where you play the system Ah. so uh, i i know whenever they were handing out those um covid checks yeah there was a guy from my hometown that was probably making 20k a month whoa off of fraud fraud fraudulent i'm not gonna go into how he pulled that off i don't even really know how is he I making actually, license plates now <laughs> no he's making meth wow um crazy <laughs> say no but more he's just been a career criminal wow. career th- thief i don't get it anyway back to your story i'm sorry and he was very proud about it too flashing the money around like he had worked for it you know facebook pictures here's three stacks of hundred dollar bills next to an ak fucking idiot and I think he listens to this so you know I'm talking about you you fucking piece of shit you know who you are fucking bag of dicks no their podcast opportunity there he's a fucking idiot he really is I hate him so much (laughs) now you know 1915 Tilly's 15 year old cousin Helen Zakrowski dies suddenly and without warning. Now, she was the sister of the first young man and woman that are now already dead of unknown causes. That's three siblings in the same family dead in three years. They all knew Tilly. I'm starting to put it, I'm starting to piece together. I think Tilly's involved. She also died, just like the other two, her brother and sister at 2013 West Dickens Avenue. Despite its horrendous history, though, Beautiful home. Five bedrooms, three bathrooms, just absolutely gorgeous aside from the, you know, 
death. I got to say, I got to say, that's one of the things I love about your show here is in addition to all the horror and the swearing and everything, there is an element of like, you could, you could literally feel like you have enough information about the street and a house on that street to qualify, like to apply for, to purchase that home. You're like a true crime Zillow. Yeah. <laughs> pretty it's pretty fun. Like you just you literally just gave an explanation, a description of this home like a real estate agent would. Quaint, three story, two 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 bedroom, one. You know bath. what the worst part is though, is when a street name has changed in history. Say you're doing a case from nineteen fifteen. Yeah. And you're trying to find the house. The the biggest nightmare research wise is trying to figure out when that street name changed and what it changed to. But you did it. Because it's always a, a side note, a little footnote in a newspaper that was like, you know, Roosevelt Avenue changed to Tilly Street. Yeah. And but that's all it said. It's like three sentences in one newspaper in 1946 on a you Tuesday. You found it. You found it. Like I said, this young lady, she dies. Three siblings now dead in three years. I'm going to mm. say something to you, and I need you to gasp for me up when I say it. Tilly and Francis, the young lady's mother, still weren't getting along during this period. <gasps> what? Yeah. Yeah. It had to have been at this point that everybody must have looked at Tilly and then at all these dead bodies and then back to Tilly and then back at all these dead bodies. <laughs> And then back to Tilly, and then like, it's very sad. This poor lady, she cannot catch a break. Not only does she have to Uh, deal with all this loss, but she knows it's going to happen before it happens. uh, Such a burden to bear. After Helen's death, Tilly starts dating a man with the last name of Myers. Now, his first name has been lost to history. It doesn't exist. You will not find it. But we know his last name was Myers, spelled M-E-Y-E-R-S. And uh, Tilly and Myers get an apartment together at 924 North Winchester. Still there to this day. Still an apartment building. Anyways, Myers goes missing. He was never seen again. Next. How many deaths do you think we're at so far? We're probably at, like, what, seven? Yeah, I was going to say I haven't even seven, kept count. Seven or seven? eight, maybe. Yeah. Now I need to bring a outside party into this story. Uh, a, a lady by the name of Nellie Kulik. Oh, hi, Nellie. Thanks for joining us. Now, Nellie Kulik is Tilly's cousin, but Nellie and Tilly got along well. She did, this is like one of the few family members she didn't kill. Oh, oh I wasn't supposed to let you guys know that, that she's killing them. <laughs> it's an odd relationship, and as far as how they jived together and everything at this point in time, we don't know for sure. They lived near each other. They had to have been close. And at some point, they had to have started talking because Nellie is every bit as as sneaky and cold-hearted as Tilly is. Hmm. Nellie was married to a man named Wojciech Sturmer, another Polish man in this Polish neighborhood. And in early 1917, two twins are born to Nellie. It was a boy by the name of Benjamin and a girl by the name of Sophia. Now, Ben died at eight months old. Sophia died at nine months old. At the end of 1917, so her two twins die early 1917. At the end of 1917, Nellie's two-year-old grandchild, Dorothy Sparrow, dies. These are kids. These are kids. These are all, this is an eight-month-old, a nine-month-old, and a two-year-old. 
Hmm. Now, two-year-old Dorothy, her granddaughter, was the daughter of her daughter, a woman by the name of Clement Sparrow. And Clement and her mother, Nellie here, frequently argued. Nellie would later say that she was always nagging her about the way she lived. And she never elaborated on what she meant by that, how she lived. I don't know if she was a hoarder. I don't know if she was a hoarder. I don't know if she was into hoarding. Maybe she was a furry. (laughs) She liked My Little Pony. She was a brony. But Clement lived at 1217 Wade Street. Nellie lived at 1219 Wade Street, just two buildings down. And Wade Mm. Street, by the way, is now West Cortez Street. And all those houses are gone, and it's now where those houses stood. A lift driver center stands in this place, and I'm sure there's some kind of societal joke or observation to make there. If there is, I don't know what it is, and to be honest, I haven't even really thought much more than that about it. Okay. Here's a quote from little Dorothy's father, and this was lifted from an old newspaper. So this is Clement's husband. Quote, Dorothy's illness at the onset seemed nothing more serious than a cold. The grandmother, he's talking about Nellie, Mm -hmm. insisted she be brought to her house for care. There, her condition gradually became dangerous. There, she developed what we now believe to have been symptoms of poisoning. Her feet swelled, her little face puffed up. She died in Miss Kulik's house at 1219 Wade Street. Yeah. I'll throw you another curveball up. Okay. In 1918, the next year, Watch it, Summer. Nellie's husband also dies of a of a suspicious death. Nobody knows how he died. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, in all the stories we've done on TCK, this one has the most death in it. Everybody fucking dies in this story. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm, I don't have anything else to say in between each death because it's like somebody should have noticed. <clears throat> About six deaths ago. Chicago, I found an article from the Chicago Chicago Tribune, November 12, 1922, is when it was dated. And it said, quote, In 30 years, Nellie Sturmer, who is now 45 years old, has given birth to 15 children. Six of them are dead. So a question, because you kind of, you, you, you alluded to the fact that these two were kind of peas in a pod. Yes. Are you are you alluding to the fact that Nellie Sturmer may have been a killer just like I'm not alluding to it I'm telling you that's what happened. Wow. Do you think they like The question tri- the real question is which one came first? Yeah. And, and then was, when did the conversation happen we're like hey we could do this together. You know, and then the que- the real question is all this eventually falls on Tilly's head, but the real question is who are all these deaths? There's no doubt in my mind that they're both responsible for deaths. Yeah. But the question is, who did which ones? Or were they... And all of them are the result of poisoning. Were they maybe doing them together? Maybe. Could be together. They could have, you know, they never talked. So we don't know. But were they pre-planned? Did they pre-select their targets? Or or It sounds like, at least at Tilly's... And the targets were pre-selected because the people that always died, she either benefited from or she had an issue with. Yeah. Wouldn't it be wild if, and this is totally, I mean, this is like movie material, but what if Nellie did all the killings and just knew that 
you know, she was basically sandbagging Tilly by killing the people in her life. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That'd be wild. You know what would be even more wilder than that? What? If Tilly never fucking killed anybody and she was just having premonitions <laughs> the whole time and they were really dying. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That would, that would be even more wild. Also, cool story. That would be cool if, like, you think the twist is, you know, you think you saw the twist with Nellie killing everybody, but the real twist is that, yeah, she did all the killing, but Tilly really had premonitions. Uh, I feel like I kind of just said what you said, so moving on. It's okay. Yeah. You're doing good, buddy. I'm not. You're beautiful. Oof. You're smart. People love you. Yeah. What is that, SNL? But you're good enough. You're smart Stuart enough. Smalley. Gosh darn it. Gosh darn it. People, People like, like you. you. Yeah. They like me if like round is likable. <laughs> I get it because of shape. Yeah. Um, Still trying to be nice. But at the end of March, 1919, 43-year-old Tilly marries a 39-year-old man. Now we're back to Tilly, not okay. Nelly. Tilly, right. Tilly. 30, 43-year-old Tilly marries a 39-year-old man by the name of Frank also known in newspapers as Franciscus. Naturally. Cupsick. Spelled K-U-P-C-Z-Y-K. Yeah, it is. Frank then moves in with Tilly at her apartment at 924 North Winchester Avenue. It's the same place she's still living that she had lived when the uh, mysterious Myers vanished. And in early April of 1919, so they, they get married, right? She's March. She's married this guy, Frank. Early April, right after their wedding. 24-year-old Rose Wachowski, also in newspapers referred to sometimes as Chudzinski. Not even the same. Not, not even, even remotely the same, aside from the SKI at the end of it. What? But 24-year-old Rose, we do know, regardless of how her last name was spelled, dies very shortly after having an argument with Tilly. Huh. So they had got into a spat. <laughs> right after her wedding, they got into a spat. This is at the, the uh, what is it, the after party? I don't know how the reception. Polish do weddings. The reception. reception. I don't know. Do they stomp on a, on a wine glass? I don't, that's, a, that's a Jewish thing, isn't it? I don't know. But they got into an argument, and then as an apology days later, Tilly made Rose an, uh, an individually wrapped meal, prepared her a meal as an apology. And I'm sure that while young Rose was sitting there eating it, she probably said something along the lines of, quote, I'm sure it's just my imagination, Tilly, but this pierogi sure seems like it has too much rat poison on it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I hate that I have to say this because I know you already know it, but Rose fucking dies. (laughs) Okay. And I hate that I have to say this because I've already said it a dozen times. Nobody is putting anything together yet. (laughs) Back to the marriage with Frank. She's freshly married. She's got one murder out of her blood. You know, she's limbering up. (laughs) (laughs) To do a, you got to get some practice in. Yeah. You know, test murder. Back to the marriage with Frank. Pretty soon after they get hitched, Tilly starts telling her neighbors she's also getting premonitions about Frank. 
And we actually get a lot of quotes from this marriage because the neighbors talked a lot to the newspapers. Apparently, she said things along the lines to them of, of like, quote, he will not live long, unquote. Jeez. <laughs> what? He will not live long. You know, and I, that sounds more like a threat than a premonition. I, I take back what I said. I, I blamed the insurance company for not seeing this coming. Everyone in that town that knew her should have seen this coming, should have, should have stopped this. Or at least stop eating her pierogies. Yeah, don't eat what she gives you. That's the other at way the to stay very alive. Least. Uh. Sure enough, Op, Frank starts getting sick. Hmm. And when Frank is on his deathbed, so the week leading up to his death, she would greet sick Frank in the morning by saying, quote, It won't be long now, Frank. Unquote. Or these are direct quotes. And the reason we know these quotes is because neighbors, they had the very thin walls. Neighbors could hear her doing this every day. The other <laughs> ones were, quote, you'll be dying soon. Unquote. And quote, did I not tell you that you were not going to live long, Frank? Jeez. So Frank has to know. Frank has to know. Yeah, but he's laying there all shaking. Yeah, he's Cold, like the he's like but he's got blankets on him. Seems like dead person on on seven on the movie seven that's just laying there and they like you know and then they get close to his face and he's like <laughs> terrified but he can't yell for anybody. Yeah, Tilly also joked with neighbors that he had two inches left to live. That's not nice. He's already sick. You don't need to make fun of his ironically manhood. She also, with what little strength he had left in his body, made him go out and get a life insurance policy. And then he came back, got back in his deathbed, and finished dying. But not before Tilly began knitting her own black lace morning hat, which she knitted while sitting beside him on his deathbed and telling him, quote, I'm going to wear this at your funeral, Frank. I'm back to blaming the insurance company again because if he looked like he was about on death's door and he came in to fill out an insurance policy and they approved it, that's on them. That's Tilly's off the hook again, in my opinion. Yeah. Because you know he looked like the guy in the zombie movie that's hiding the bot? <laughs> right. It's exactly. never hard to tell in the zombie movies. Like they try to make it a big plot point. We're like, he's been bit, but he's been like gray in color and sweating. For the last 10 minutes of the movie. Are you okay, Frank? <laughs> Having a hard time filling that form out. No, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. All right. <laughs> what the fuck is that? What the fuck? He's been fucking bitten. And then the audience is supposed to go, <gasps> he's been green for 15 minutes. <laughs> they tell the most loved one of that person that they're the one that has to put him down. You yeah, know? every time. All it's every time. zombie movie. Every time. I, I can't. I can't. <laughs> they always change it just the right time to attack them, too. <laughs> and uh, another crazy thing about zombie movies, somebody can die, and this has always bothered me, somebody can die with the most beautiful, straight, pearly white teeth ever. And the second they change, we just saw them that in their last words. They said, don't let me turn into one of them. Uh -huh. Don't let me be a zombie. 
<laughs> you just see these beautiful, and then their mouth closes, and five seconds later, their eyes change to white, right? And they open their mouth, rotten teeth. <laughs> Completely rotten teeth. I never thought of that until just now. <laughs> Gross brown rotten teeth. Yeah. We don't ever talk about that in zombie movies is the, the havoc that the zombie virus wreaks on your on your teeth. Yeah. Wow. They also some for some reason get really dirty. Like dirt just falls suddenly. Out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Their clothes are all tattered like they've been wearing them for twelve months. Yeah. Put me down. Don't let me turn into one of them. You told me to watch the movie Thirty Days of Night, and oh, so, it's so I, good. Yeah, I loved it. But on the along those lines, they get bit, and as soon as if you start turning, your teeth are suddenly all filed to points. Like, yes, yeah. no how'd sense. That, how'd that doesn't happen? make any? <laughs> that, that does not do that. That is as okay. a person who loves science. Yeah, makes no sense. None. I'll still watch them though. Yeah, nude. Now. Frank is still laying here on his deathbed. Tilly's whispering sweet poison <laughs> wishes to him. He's just taken out a life insurance policy on his own life. Ugh. And one day, Tilly is sitting on the edge of the bed there waiting for him to die. She finds an advertisement in a magazine from an undertaking firm, and they're selling coffins for a dirt cheap price of 30 bucks. She shows Frank, dying Frank, mind you, the ad... And says, quote, I guess one of these is good enough for you. I'm going to buy one and keep it in the cellar. Unquote. Wow. She does indeed ask the landlady that they had there. Her name was Martha Wesselek for, for, for permission for permission to store the cheap coffin in the basement that she had gotten on sale for $30. And that's $526 today. Hmm. Martha, however, the landlady told her, hell no. That is two more, but he's still alive. Yeah, I'm with her, I think. On April 25th, 1921, 40-year-old Frank Kupsick dies, finally. What? TCK is brought to you by... (laughs) (laughs) Every time you say that, Jess puts her hands on her forehead. Go ahead, fuck, fuck with me. I'll ruin every one of our sponsors. I'll burn every bridge we have. I love Drizzly. I'll just run them into the ground. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> we come back tomorrow, and we're like, where the heck did TCK go? It's not on Apple anymore. And Jess is like... I don't know. I don't know. Weird. Huh? <laughs> now, I know that Frank is dead now, uh, but I do have one sad bit of news. As he took his dying breaths, Tilly grabbed him by his ears, pulled his face close to hers, looked him in the eyes, and said, quote, You old devil! You won't get up again. What? And that was the last thing he saw and heard before facing eternity. (laughs) I'm trying to remember. What's the the ratio men to women dead so far? She killed killed the one gal right after her. So three kids are dead. Three kids. 
uh, a bunch of husbands. Bunch of husbands. So, and, and maybe a couple women. Three cousins. No, four okay. cousins. Four. Wow. How, how are we not talking about this lady more? The official <laughs> cause of death for Frank is listed as bronchial pneumonia. Really? And Tilly collects the $675 life insurance policy that Frank had filed days before his death when he stumbled into that office sick and coughing and barely able to walk. That's equivalent to $14,000 today. Wow. July 30th, 1921, very shortly after Frank's death. This is two months after Frank's death. Tilly marries another man, a man by the name of Joseph Klimek. And Tilly Klimek is how she will forever be known in history. Anytime you look up Tilly, you got to look up Tilly Klimek, not by her maiden name, which was, of course, <laughs> So she marries Joseph Klimek. She moves in with him at 1453 Tell Place, and that is now 1453 Thomas Street. Built in 1882, it's a beautiful house. Still there to this day, a sprawling 3,000 square feet. I don't know how many square footage it is. Does it have a mother-in-law quarter? Can't tell us. <laughs> I don't know, but I know that it's still there. Built in 1882, still there. Beautiful place. Uh, but one thing I did learn to do in this episode is that they do not tear shit down in Chicago. Well, <laughs> let me rephrase that. They do not tear shit down in Chicago as long as a cop hasn't killed anybody. Oh. <laughs> Snap. I don't know if we can turn this one around. We're going to try. Joseph was a wealthy businessman. He loved moonshine. Joseph was a wealthy businessman who liked moonshine. Her cousin and now neighbor, Nellie Sturmer, if you remember, Nellie, her mm. significant, uh, her, her murder, her buddy in crime. Nellie yeah. now lives right next to her, and uh, she's bitching to her cousin, Tilly is, claiming that he's, he's abusive to her. Now, there's no evidence to support this after they did the, like, there's no proof that Joseph ever abused her. And uh, this is the story they gave. And, of course, because they're the only two left alive, we don't have another side of the story. But Nellie does admit later to giving Tilly uh, rat poison, specifically a brand called Rough on Rats. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Right before she starts poisoning him, she talks Joseph into taking out a life insurance policy again. And one day, he, he starts to get sick. You know, just like, ah, I'm just not feeling well. But one day he throws out the scraps of his dinner to his two dogs that he loved. And they eat the scraps. And that night, they die in their sleep. Oh, no. Oh. Joseph is, is, is suspicious now, but for this time, for the right reasons. He pretty quickly starts getting very sick. And he calls a doctor by the name of Peter Burns. Peter Burns comes to the house comes and checks on Joseph and immediately suspects that he's suffering from arsenic poisoning Poisoning after a home visit. Joseph is immediately put in the hospital at the Chicago West Side Hospital, and they do test and tests confirm it. Uh, they confirm that he was being poisoned. The poison she was using, like I said, was a, white, white, a, a rat poison called Rough on Rats, and it comes in a white powder. On October 27th, 1922, 
Tilly Klimek is arrested. Oh. She is arrested. It's all coming down now. Okay. She tells the arresting, arresting officer, Willard Malone, as he's slapping cuffs on her, that, quote, the next one I want to cook dinner for is you. Ooh. Meaning she wants to kill him with food. Yeah, that's what she meant, huh? <laughs> yeah. I think that's what she meant. She's bold. I don't want to make assumptions. I also don't think she's going to be able to do it with handcuffs on. No. Pierogies, big sausages. Very difficult. You definitely need both hands. Kibasa, I mean, big sausages. And pierogies. They're not sausages, but pierogies too. Hard to make with... I think we know where we're going with this. Tilly was taken to the West Chicago Avenue Police Station. And on November 22nd, 1922, uh, about a month later, Nellie, Tilly's cousin, Nellie, Tilly's cousin, is also arrested. They're both in jail now. Ooh. Now, this is, things get a little funny here because while waiting for her trial, Tilly is put in a cell right beside her cousin, cousin Nellie. Right? And you know what Tilly did for fun when things got boring there in the jail cell? Killed people. No, she enjoyed convincing her cousin that they were going to come be coming in any day to hang her. Oh, Every day. Nice of her. When the, car, when the guards would come to get Nellie for literally anything, whether it was a, a visit, whatever they needed to do. Maybe they needed to take fingerprints. Maybe she needed to use the bath, whatever. Tilly would start ranting that, oh, they're going to hang you, Nellie. But she would do it in Polish. Oh, they're going to hang you, Nellie. And then Nellie would start screaming and crying every time and freaking out. It was a lot of fun for everybody. <laughs> everybody had a lot of fun. Wow. So she enjoyed torturing her cousin Nellie when she got bored in jail here. Now, throughout her trial, throughout her entire prison stay, she never showed a bit of emotion, no regret, no remorse, ever. Nellie, on the other hand, was fucking freaking out. On March 24th, 1923, 47-year-old Tilly Klimek is found guilty of the murder of Frank Kubzik, her third husband. Uh, because of all the other murders that had led up to them dis- discovering Frank, they, they didn't have any proof. Hmm. They just sentenced her to life in prison which was the harshest sentence that had ever been given to a woman in Cook County history up until that point. Life in prison. That is where Tilly spent the rest of her life. Now, Nellie, on the other hand, got out on probation um, and kind of fades off into uh, history after that. But uh, on November 20th, 1936, after serving 13 years in prison, 60-year-old Tilly Klimek dies right there at prison at the Juliet Correctional Facility of Heart Disease. She was buried afterwards in an unmarked grave at the Bohemian National Cemetery in Chicago. And that is the end of the story of Tilly Klimek. Man, she's a monster. I Like, she did more killing than H.H. Holmes in the same kind of, you know, vein of killing insurance money yeah i can't or revenge we're not we don't know more or bell did the same thing but it's funny that you, like i'd never heard of this gal until you you brought her up i just thought that the premonition aspect was was funny this yeah. idea that people kept buying it you know that it doesn't have to go in that order 
Yeah. Like it doesn't have to be like. <laughs> right. yeah. People can make things happen to fit their agenda. Look at our government. <laughs> it's sort of like what's that? What's that one TV show with the two um, obese sisters? Was it my? Was that my six hundred pound life? Six hundred pound sisters. Is that what it was? Something I think like it's that? called My Fat Sister. <laughs> it's sort of like as you go through the episodes of that, you hear all of the words of wisdom and the the parenting that, that took place from their mom. And you're like, oh, everything she told you is probably why you live the life that you do. Like somebody should have saw that, you know. Somebody should have saw this happening. Ugh. They just couldn't wrap their their head around the possibility that maybe she wasn't having premonitions. She was just fucking killing people. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. That's a wild one. I was bored until that, uh, like, you really turned it around there at the end. Oh, uh, uh, thanks, man. Be, yeah. No, you did. Congrats. I thought this was going to be stupid, and it was yeah. not. <laughs> At the end. Thank you. You're welcome. I think. Um, you've been on a tear lately, I think we should mention. You have found your stride with TCK. But you know what? I'm not saying that like there's any expectation. So if you, if you, you know, I just, I'm, I think the listener base is just, just tickled with what you've been providing our beer balls. And I, and I want to represent them and say I appreciate it. We appreciate it. Thank you, Op. Eleven fifty nine is is a pro is a thing. Come and check us out on Patreon and likes, and reviews. Fucking give us a one star. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm gonna call you tomorrow. Yeah. Yep. Love you. Did the music. <laughs>